1: Hello and welcome to episode 106 of The Terrible Book Club. I'm Chris and this is Paris. Hello. This time we read Feeding the Dragon, Inside the Trillion Dollar Dilemma Facing Hollywood, the NBA, and American Business by Chris Fenton. This was published by Post Hill Press just this past year in 2020. We read this at the request of our patron Lynn. Thanks a bunch, Lynn. If you two would like to force us to read a book on the show, Head on over to Patreon and choose the appropriate donation tier at our Patreon at patreon.com slash terriblebookclub. (laughs)
0: Thank you, Chris. Uh, If this is your first time listening to the show, what we do here at the Terrible Book Club is we read books that we assume will be bad based on their cover, title, summary, or some combination of the three. Sometimes, though, like today, we also read books that our patrons, listeners, or friends recommend. So we do the opposite of what most people do in a bookstore or while they're browsing the internet looking for a book to read. And usually this experiment results in a disappointing read. But once in a while, we do end up liking the book. Uh, content warnings for today. We're, we're going to discuss a little bit of racism and xenophobia. So specifically racism against Chinese folks. Um, I think that's kind of it, though. Chris, am I forgetting any content warnings we should be aware of?
1: mild perhaps alluded to drug use oh, oh, yeah, not really like uh, it's just right, our suspicion so... there so that's not like to be clear it could have not have been the case when we get to this scene it, but it really sounds like
0: all right, so there's maybe just one bump of Coke in this episode. <laughs> yes, maybe, that's, that's
1: one. maybe that's our speculation. Uh, Once again, we don't yeah, want to be yeah. defaming anyone here.
0: Speculation just
1: kind of sounds like maybe <laughs> there's a guy in here that could have been, you know.
0: Uh, all right, so the summary for feeding the dragon is thus. <clears throat> As seen on Fox News' Tucker Carlson Tonight, Maria Bartiromo, Bloomberg, Salt Talk, Steve Bannon's War Room 2020, Adam Carolla Show, Useful Idiots, John Solomon Reports, Kaiser Reports, CNBC, wow, this is still happening, VOA and Fox Business, a deeply revealing memoir of big wins and hard lessons from a seasoned executive caught smack in the middle of the trillion-dollar soft power struggle pitting China against Hollywood, the NBA, and American business.
1: Okay. So <laughs>
0: that list of shows just I did not realize. It so as
1: on. you can perhaps see this is a little bit more self-aggrandizing than an actual interesting, you know, look at business stuff, let's say. You perhaps might have picked this up because you were interested in seeing American and Chinese business relationships and their inner workings and the like. Uh, you're going to get just a surface level take on that at best while the author Chris Fenton talks about how much he did and how much he was involved in these. How many deals you
0: made! Deals! Business Chris. deals! Stalks! Right. Uh, like, this is basically just the Art of the Deal 2020 China edition. Like, that's all this book is.
1: <laughs> Yeah, if you like seeing numbers like thirty million, fifty million tossed around, <laughs> one trillion, like and like just kind of vaguely like estimated business deal numbers, this might be for you. No, uh,
0: yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about the content in a moment. Let's talk about our characters and setting. Uh, the setting is pretty much either California or various portions of China, usually Beijing, Shanghai, or um. Shit, what was the other city they were in a lot?
1: The Forbidden
0: City? Which Uh, I believe is within... Oh, no, not for the Forbidden City. Uh, Chengdu? Chengdu?
1: Yeah, Chengdu. Might be mispronouncing that.
0: Yeah, I'm probably fucking this up. I'm, like many Americans, uh, I do not know how to to pronounce Chinese things, unfortunately. Um, So we're going to do our best here without... (laughs) It's totally ruining the Chinese language, but it's hard. Uh, The main characters, Chris Fenton, the author, uh, his friend. Well, we'll talk about whether they're friendly or not right now. uh, Dan Mintz, who is an American working in China, who is kind of the guy at uh, DMG Entertainment, which is the uh, firm that Fenton... Well, Fenton was Dan's agent, uh this is complicated because he says he he's the president. president there's like there's like a whole I and mean, we'll get to this in a minute but anyway <laughs> they work for dmg it's a chinese entertainment firm i actually forget what dmg stands for um I don't think they it's not really. interesting or irrelevant but uh he has his wife jennifer his two kids um all of china it's all the same. China. Sort of all the same. the same as just one <laughs> big conglomerate
1: of Chinese regulators and the people very generalized as a whole.
0: Oh, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty dumb. Uh, Ping pong guys. Basketball <laughs> guys. There's a
1: small ping pong <laughs> anecdote that he really likes to bring up when he talks about his soft power.
0: Well, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess anyway, so there's ping pong guys, there's basketball guys for a little bit. There's LeBron Kevin...
1: James in particular. Since, yes. since he was very involved in Chinese American basketball uh, business deals, it seems like.
0: Uh, there's Kevin Feige, who is the guy in charge.
1: nope. no. no pe- what? Kevin Feige. What? I can correct you for once, Paris. I can Feige? finally correct you. Feige. It is Kevin Feige.
0: How is that not Feige?
1: It's, it, listen, I've seen many an interview with this fella and oh, I believe you a, An enormous Marvel fan so I, know,
0: I, I believe think you. I would
1: know this one but Finally I get to lord over you <laughs> How to pronounce something Um, actually, it's Feige
0: Um, okay, Kevin Feige Uh, the guy in charge of <laughs> the you see how it
1: feels, Paris? <laughs>
0: It's fine. I'd rather know the right thing to say. Uh, the guy in charge of the uh, Marvel Cinematic, Cinematic universe? universe. Yeah, Correct. that's what yeah, MCU stands for. Uh, <laughs> I love how Chris's note here is, you would only not know this dude if you haven't been to a movie theater since, I don't know, 2009. And I was like, I don't know this guy. I have no idea who this man is. So. I have been to a movie theater since 2009 but I did not know that guy's name.
1: You're not really watching a ton of superhero movies no. here and there so you didn't
0: Yeah. Uh JC Spinks uh who is Chris Fenton's I don't know what best friend maybe. Uh this is Long-time the man time pal of some kind. This is the man who is just fueled by cocaine even though it's not stated in the text Again,
1: we're, speculating we're speculating here but <laughs> when you drive up to your friend's house in the middle of the night to take him to a Duran Duran concert in your pajamas, pajamas. <laughs> unexpectedly and like you know that seems like there might be and, and you know when yeah just you, the
0: way he talks to you, he's when always later
1: in the book you die suddenly <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, I don't mean to laugh at a man's death, but in the arc of the text it is uh it really like- <laughs> Yeah. Uh and then Robert Downey Jr., who kind of speaks <laughs> like an alien. I don't really know what's up with that. People uh, like,
1: come on, guys, this is China, baby. We're yeah. here to do like and he talks like what you would expect a caricature of big name actor to talk. I have seen Robert Downey Jr. do interviews and interact with people. I'm sure that's you know something of a put on persona versus what he's like in reality. But just the way the dialogue is done here seems like Chris Fenton half remembering things as what big actor man might say. Well,
0: he does, to Fenton's credit, he does start his book with a um, disclaimer that says... The views expressed in the book are mine. Um, though I use extensive notes and other source materials, certain creative freedoms did come into play, possibly resulting in some inaccuracies. The quoted dialogue from real people throughout the book was inspired by my recollection of each event and should not be taken as verbatim. That said, my goal was to handle the words of each character with great sensitivity and deep respect, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, despite despite seeing the world through the, the Fenton filter, you know, I still th- agree with Chris that Yes, yeah, the dialogue remembered is a little It doesn't strange. seem like
1: Robert Dowdy to me.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, there's also like an SEC investigation, um Securities and Exchange Commission, correct? Is that yes. SEC? Yeah. Uh later on there's like a guy that plays a sort of important point. They just
1: call him the Fed.
0: Yeah. So anyway, this book is not fictional. It is it is a supposed to be a I mean, the title says it's supposed to tell you about this China Dilemma, Faced by American Business and Entertainment Industries, right? I mean, all it really does, though, I mean, we don't have a a written summary. Chris, you want to give the summary of this book?
1: Okay, listen. Chris Fenton and DMG Entertainment are trying to get Iron Man 3 distributed in China, which is a little difficult considering China is a little bit protectionist about media they allow from outside That is distributed within their borders. There's, of course, lots of piracy happening in small-time markets or some such like that. But um, Iron Man 3 is one of the first, not the first, but one of the first bigger Hollywood productions that might be able to get released officially in China. And DMG Entertainment is sort of in the middle of this. Um so there's just basically a lot of anecdotes that Chris Fenton talks about first with like other things that have to do with American Chinese business relationships like the ping pong anecdote we talk well, we'll talk about and some NBA stuff. I don't know why he has the NBA stuff in here when he had no dealings with it. It's just like him second-hands telling you about NBA dealings in China.
0: Yeah, I mean it was no, he had something to do with those those tournaments that they set up. Sure. Um But beyond that, I mean, I think he was just trying to give us examples of when, of other times when American businesses were successful at getting an American import into China and having Chinese people like it. However, he never really explains, like, what the success was there. Was it just that American businesses made money (laughs) and that Chinese people liked it? Like, it didn't, it never explained how the basketball tournaments or ironman 3 or anything actually improved relations between the countries like the ping pong stuff did because uh i guess in the god what was it the 60s or 70s chris i can't Something remember like that i can't remember the ping pong thing but i guess um ping pong was one of the few sports in china at the time and an american and a chinese player got like stuck at a bus stop together and the American was invited on the Chinese bus. So he wasn't stranded. And like he made friends and stuff. And it was this big, it was a big deal because at the time China and America, you know, were in a cold war and, uh, it was, you know, it was a big deal to have Chinese and American, um, civilians being like, Hey, this guy's cool. This guy's fine. He hits a mean ping, you know, whatever he, yeah. he pings a pong. And so they, you know, had it, had this happen. And, um, because of that, it allowed. Oh, shit. What was the.
1: No, I I, it was Nixon, right? I can't Nixon remember. was like one of the first presidents to actually go to yes, China correct. as a result yes. Of this. Yes.
0: Yes. As a result of the, the ping pong, you know, success, bromance that sprung up on that bus, we now have, yeah. Uh, shit. I'm trying to figure out if it was Nixon. I think you're right. Uh, or Reagan. No, it was Nixon. I remember it being Nixon. Reagan. Nixon specifically, specifically,
1: it was Nixon.
0: Um, So anyway, he explains how soft power from something non-governmental like a sport can improve relations between countries so that their governments are friendlier to each other. But then he doesn't really do that with his own example, which is strange. You're supposed to
1: take the ping pong anecdote as a thesis statement for the overarching reason as to why you would want the NBA and Hollywood to extend into the Chinese market. And I get that you're supposed to extrapolate from the business success that thus soft power was established and cultural exchange is established, but maybe you could perhaps bring more concrete examples forward of how, as a result of these, there were better communications between the entities like as you did in the ping pong example with yep. Nixon coming over and diplomatic relationships being opened up if you just say well this happened and both sides made a lot of money and thus you must assume that communication was bettered as a result of it it's just not as impactful yeah
0: like, it, it doesn't. you're not
1: proving your thesis necessarily right. you're saying that okay I did this thing and then you can assume that it because the ping pong thing worked out that way. This also worked out the same way.
0: So yeah. So at the beginning, he gives a little bit of background on himself, mostly just talking about how uh, about his experiences getting fired from his first job. That, for many set, jobs. that, that sets you up for uh, for him being fired from almost every job he's ever had, um, <laughs> including DMG, I think. Which Seems we'll like get to. In the
1: moment. How about we start with one of his side jobs that was outside of the entertainment industry that he got while he was, you know, working at a particular agency? To start, he got a side job at noted, uh, you know, Italian uh, restaurants, Olive Garden, <laughs> the Olive Garden. And this hit me in a special way because I am also a Chris that has worked at the Olive Garden, so you know, little bit of <laughs> <laughs> relational aspect that I can get out of here. But I gotta say, the way the Olive Garden segment, he presents this as his like, ah, I I, I know how to work business stuff because he figures out the Olive Garden system where (laughs) they actually make profits on upselling appetizers and desserts and the entrees themselves aren't exactly what they're making the money off of. So even though people are expected to order an entree, you're then supposed to upsell them on upsell them on all the other additions but he figured out if i don't sell them the entree and i tell them to just get appetizers to share and drinks to you know pass around my numbers would look better in the system because the averaging takes the the entree price into account but if there's no entree there then it's just almost pure profit margin therefore i look like an amazing salesman look at me as he puts it i am an olive garden god (laughs) Not an exaggerated line. Literally Uh, a Dennis Reynolds style. I am an Olive Garden god. I'm a five-star wearer.
0: You know what? That actually got a chuckle out of me, though. I think he was trying to be funny, and it was funny. Yeah, it Um, was
1: clearly meant to be a little funny, but I'm not sure if he literally was lifting from Dennis Reynolds there, but it sure sounds like it.
0: But like every good myth, our god must fall. and
1: (laughs) and, hubris.
0: Yes, uh, so he... You know, drunk on the hubris of being the top server at Olive Garden. He's he, slinging he,
1: breadsticks like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, Paris.
0: he starts. He starts sneaking into the um, the fridge or something. Walk-in the fridge. The walk-in fridge. You know, the Where walk-in. They have their
1: pre-packaged desserts. Some Olive Garden insider knowledge for you. The desserts are all pre packaged and bought from outside. Yeah,
0: dude, I think everyone, every, yeah, yeah every, I mean, hopefully that be, everyone knows that Olive Garden. Did you know the, the food soups come way. in
1: bags too? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, anyway, drunk on hubris, the Olive Garden god begins secretly consuming tiramisu. And eventually, his manager discovers that he has consumed 273 <laughs> tiramisu and he is fired. <laughs> Okay,
1: Paris, so here's like the first instance of something to me that feels like it might be exaggerated for like bragging purposes.
0: As he notes at the beginning, I love how he's like, Oh, yeah, by the way, I probably like, maybe some of this isn't totally accurate. And it's like, well, but you're writing a memoir. I feel like, <laughs> like
1: Olive Garden Man, like, cause they say we've been watching you the whole time. <laughs> yes. I feel like they would intervene at Tiramisu number 172. Five? I would
0: perhaps? say five. I would say Tiramisu <laughs> number three or five. Yeah. I-, I don't, I mean, unless they were trying to build a federal case, <laughs> they're trying to, like, cause you know, sometimes that um, uh, when you work security, like a retailer or something. Sometimes they'll they'll let you keep stealing so that the case value grows so that you can be fucking arrested and prosecuted because if they just nip you for a couple sous, you know, they don't they don't have much <laughs> like 273 done.
1: You go to the slammer, buddy. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, but but notably, doesn't he like doesn't he, I mean he loses his job, but like he doesn't go to jail or get no you know, I don't even. So like, why think let it expands
1: gets... to two hundred and seventy three?
0: Yeah, I, again, I probably. really feel like that was yeah.
1: probably exaggerated. Probably. I, I feel like by number fifty, his manager would have brought him in and been like, "Bro, uh, listen, yeah, you're this is. <laughs> I mean, the tiramisu is were only like six or seven dollars, I think, when I was working there, something like that. So. By like number 50, you're well past a few hundred dollars, yeah. which I feel like is enough. And from what I remember, at least the management at my particular franchise, Olive Garden, <laughs> they were ready to clamp down on because it, I, I got in there when they were just opening and they were definitely like weeding certain people out. And, you know, after you went through hospitaliato school. <laughs> oh my
0: God, I can't believe that's real! That's real, oh, 100%, million Christ. percent real. Oh no. Oh, Chris, you're also a graduate of Hospitaliano school. I oh, am. you and Indeed. you and Chris Fenton are all the same.
1: <laughs> <laughs> neck and neck. Anyway, except I wasn't a waiter, I was the to go counter, so like if you didn't want to stay at the olive garden and you just wanted to get your shit and go, and your one car. That, yeah, I was the one that packaged up your bagged soups and <laughs> hot lamped breadsticks and $12 uh, spaghetti plates. I remember one phone call I got. This is, here's my uh, fucking Olive Garden anecdote for you. I got a call and they were placing an order and they asked me how much for a plate of spaghetti and sauce and I was like, oh, that's eleven ninety nine. And the person on the other end of the phone was like flabbergasted. I mean, I would be a plate too. of pasta cost twelve dollars and they like wanted me to like do something about it and I was like. I don't know what to tell you, bro. That's let it's $11.99 for a plate of just <laughs> simple pasta and sauce.
0: I mean, that's a lot considering this was like 15 years ago.
1: I know. Like I'm that's also a I'm lot. considering like what he was saying the entrees don't have much profit margin. I'm like, that was $12 uh, for yeah. like...
0: <laughs> Well, maybe they change I mean, because I think he there worked... might have
1: been meatballs in there, I forget. So maybe that uh, yeah. was also
0: anyway. Uh closing the Olive Garden chapter <laughs> <laughs> on this book. He, got, he then goes on to talk about working for um, an entertainment firm. I actually don't remember, because uh, he really wanted to be an agent. That was his goal. I do not
1: super important to know exactly what
0: Yeah, do I don't remember. Anyway, um, he talks a little bit about that, slings some weird gossip, even though at the beginning he's like, this shouldn't be gossipy. But he's like, yo, Danzig wanted to fuck bitches, though. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, okay.
1: so it was, like a, it was an, uh, an L.A. agency that dealt with many arms of entertainment, and music was one of their bigger arms at the time. And apparently Danzig was um, signed under them at one point, and he decides to share a little bit of Danzig gossip. Once again, this is coming from Chris Fenton. We're not saying anything that this is a sure deal about Danzig. I
0: I actually would say because it's coming from Chris Fenton for reasons we'll reveal shortly, I would would relegate this to rumor and probably not accurate. But Chris, (laughs) please tell us.
1: (laughs) he claims that within danzig's rider was a line demanding three women aged 20 to 25 who could talk about sports, politics and religion and also only lived a $20 <laughs> cab ride from the show premises <laughs> which is-
0: <laughs> i mean i don't danzig do, i mean danzig doesn't seem like I'm not saying this is this can't be true because Danzig does, especially after we watch Veronica, you know, uh, Danzig does make me feel like he's maybe a little sketchy. But that's just a feeling I have. I feel that's like not- he would
1: maybe ask for women if possible, but like to like pare it down to such a niche that you're demanding. Three within a five-year age range that could talk about these three things and also only live what, like, fifteen miles from the show, ten miles. From also, the show? don't
0: you love how women are fucking yellow M and M's? Like, yeah, just yeah. write <laughs> that into the writer. Get me, get me a dish of women. Take out the ones that don't. Are you
1: supposed to just phone call people at random? And be like, hey, you want to hang out with Danzig? Who?
0: Yeah, <laughs> like... well, and and the, the the crazy thing for me is these are riders that would go to like individual venues for one night probably stop so it's like the manager gets this and they're like what the fuck uh hey Rhonda, you want to call some <laughs> of your friends does anyone know do they know about a religion or a sports politics i, I don't you know, know i need, I need three of them
1: zig is
0: mr dan zig <laughs> requires only the best <laughs> you know oh, I mean, he's some
1: kind of musician guy or something
0: yeah anyway I, just a random piece of what seems like gossip. Uh, I, I don't know. It but it was thrown
1: in there for oh, and I then, don't know.
0: Okay, so then this is kind of like where you notice like this these chapters about his job at this agency that also handled musicians. So it becomes this thing where he starts trying to tie himself to greater people and events. He tries to say something like he was the one who told someone about Kurt Cobain's suicide because this this agency, in addition to handling Danzig, also was handling Nirvana at the time. But really, what happened was just that he listened to a radio program, and that radio program was also playing in other offices, and then he mentioned it to someone. And that was it. And it's like, why are you trying to tie Kurt Cobain's suicide to you? Like, you're such a star fucker. I hate you, Chris. <laughs> you suck. It, yeah, it's, it's,
1: mm. I, it's kind of needless, especially when the point of the book is an examination of Chinese-American business culture. I get that you're trying to establish your rise in the entertainment well, but, industry. But here's the
0: thing. It either should be about that or it should be a memoir or he should find a way to weave them together more effectively like is this a memoir or is this about Chinese American Chinese and American business because it seems like it's about it's supposed to be about Chinese and American business but then he has all this memoir shit and like you said it's not connected so I don't know man it just you're not getting what is on the package which is the problem for me a mostly
1: irrelevant detail to up the page count perhaps Yes. I don't care that you perhaps relayed the news to Kurt Cobain's contract manager that he, you know, allegedly might have killed himself because it was still just being reported on the news and people were like a little unsure of it, I think. Yeah. Or perhaps they were, I don't know. But it it's again, it's not helping your broader point. How does that even establish that you were a mover and shaker in the LA entertainment industry? It beso- doesn't. <laughs> you heard a radio thing and told one guy, therefore this And you got fired from that, so it's not like you even...
0: Yeah, and he he says he got fired, and they didn't tell him why. So so as the book is going on, I start becoming more and more suspicious about some of his claims and just the way he's talking about himself. Like we've said, it it feels very self-aggrandizing. And I was just like, there's something weird here. So I start Googling. And if you look up Chris Fenton in this book, all you find for pages and pages is um interviews with uh, Tucker Carlson and like he's on all these conservative radio shows um and kind of shitty uh pop opinion pieces that either Chris himself wrote or one of his friends wrote about his book. But if you keep going, you will eventually find an interesting piece called Debunking Hollywood Agent. Is Chris Fenton feeding the dragon or feeding his ego by Andrew Rossow Esquire? And I must say, Mr. Rosso, Rosso, not really sure how to say that, did all the research that I was hoping to find. Like, he provided all the things that I was wondering about. And it definitely, um, my I think my suspicions were uh, at least partially correct based on what this article explains. Um, I mean, he, it turns out that, like, Chris Fenton has actually been fired from just about every job he's ever had. Um, in Hollywood. And again, like, I know people get fired. It doesn't mean you're a bad person for getting fired from a job, but it does feel like he's kind of covering it up and also not explaining why. And sometimes he got fired for, um, for cause. So that means that you did something real bad (laughs) to get fired. So it's not like you just get let go because someone doesn't like you. Um, but he was, um... Yeah, let me see. Uh, MBST was a prestigious management company that Fenton worked for. Um, but he never mentions in the book. And it's because he was fired for cause. But, of course, it's he was fired for cause, locked out of their offices. Um, and it was confirmed that he was fired due to attempted theft of client and intellectual property. But he never talks about this. He talks no. about getting fired for tiramisu eating, but not for stealing. <laughs> so... You know, not for, like, actual adult theft, not just eating a tiramisu. Um, and there's there's a bunch of other, uh, this this article points out a bunch of other things that I was also curious about. So he calls himself president of DMG for 17 years, and yet it seems like he's really just Dan's agent. And uh, it is interesting because Mr. Ross discovered that um, he only was actually an employee of DMG for five years. So he must have just been Dan's agent before that, but that doesn't mean he was an employee of DMG. He was employed by Dan. Um, And, you know, uh, he asked DMG, like, why was he given this title as president if he wasn't president? And the employee said that Mr. Fenton requested a title like that because it might help him open more doors for the company. So he was like, say I'm your president and I will use all my fancy connections, essentially, is what I'm kind of um, speculating here. So, I mean, there's a lot... I'm not going to read the whole article and point out all of the things that are either lies or exaggerations, but um, this article makes a compelling case that Fenton's just kind of a bullshitter and has just gotten by, um, I think, because in the entertainment industry, things move pretty quickly, and also a lot of people in the entertainment industry are kind of shitbags anyway, so, you know, it's not like... It's not like he's uh, not at home in that profession if he's sure. going to lie about stuff all the time. Uh, but I do think it's unfortunate, right? Because, like I said, getting fired from a job doesn't mean you're a bad person. Making mistakes, you know, it doesn't mean you're fucked forever. Like, okay, maybe he stole some intellectual property or client property. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that's like an office chair or like files. But he could have just talked about all of this and explained it. He could have just said, hey, I, w- I don't know. I was, <laughs> I don't know. I was a lot of coke bender and whatever. <laughs> or, I don't know. He <laughs> JC have-
1: got to me that night and he, we thought we'd start yeah. our own agency. Yeah. So um, I stole all the client info and decided to call him up and say, hey, come on over to Fenton's Five Forces agency. Or uh,
0: Yeah. I mean, he, it seems like he's only survived by being close to the people who actually make the deals like Dan Mintz and others. Um, That's my
1: central problem with this entire book. Actually, yeah, he
0: doesn't actually. He's not actually the one solely responsible for this. He might be on a team, but he's working for Dan, who and Dan and other people are making these deals, and Chris is helping. Certainly, he's, he's certainly lubricating things, especially
1: yeah. on the American side of yes. things. So, but Paris, uh, actually, I'll let you make your point.
0: And then... Sorry, I was just going to say, but yeah, but to try to say that you're the one. the way he writes it, it seems like he's responsible for all this stuff. He calls himself an, a China expert on like his LinkedIn and Twitter and in other places. And other people of course have parroted this. Um, I think another part of the reason that Chris Fenton has kind of been able to pull the wool over everyone's eyes here is not only because he's near people, therefore kind of, you know, part of these deals, but not orchestrating them is that his work is with China and a lot of people just don't know shit about China. <laughs> like I, I mean, I, you know, it's true that a lot of people in America are ignorant about, I would say, Greater Asia, not even just China itself. Um, and China, as Chris pointed out, is pretty protectionist about everything. Uh, they are they're definitely ones to you know spin things to their favor, um, keep data concealed and things like that. I mean, not that every other country doesn't do that too. Yeah, the it's U.S. Not included, unique to China. But um not not trying to demonize China here, just trying to explain that, like, I think maybe um, some of Fenton's uh, purported success here um, is because he's claiming to be a specialist in something that very few people understand, you know, and or are involved in. And I guess the people who are involved in it don't care enough to be like, oh, yeah, that guy he's not really involved. No one really gives a shit. Um, and, and again, you know, this isn't. I want to say I'm I'm getting all of this data from this you know this article by Mr. Rosso, and I have no reason not to believe it. Why would this random reporter have anything to prove against Chris Fenton, right? Um, but seemed like he did a pretty good pretty good dressing down of this book. Um, yeah, so if you're interested in all those details, I'll, I'll leave you to that article. Um, anyway,
1: so. I think I can move on over to, again, my central problem with this entire book here, which is coming off of some of the stuff that you were talking about there. Yeah. Chris Fenton wants to write a book that is sort of centrally themed or tries to be centrally themed around American and Chinese business dealings. And if you're someone that has an interest in something like that, like Paris said, it's hard to get a lot of good detail on that. Um, And this could be a treasure trove of information on how those dealings work. Fenton does bring up the fact that a lot of Chinese business relationships are poised around your relationship with particular government entities or regulators. Um, The word that he uses is spelled G U A N X I. I probably can't pronounce it correctly, but I think it's Guanxi or something along those lines. Yeah, sure. Sort of like your inner connection to a government body that helps you get things moved along more. And it's
0: not only just government, it's just your relationships, like having good relationships with other people. Sure. And
1: he kind of puts it as if this is a China specific thing when like in reality, let's, you know, that's that's just as important in America or most other countries as like, <laughs> yeah business connections right like yeah your relationships with
0: other people are important no matter what fucking country you're in
1: specific relationships that you build upon are what help you get ahead and I'm not saying that that's wrong or irrelevant here and Chris Fenton sure does a lot to build certain relationships and lubricate certain deals but he we never get specific details he talks about how um. These specific regulations under the CCP about, you know, how many foreign films are allowed in and what kind of content is supposed to be allowed. They usually pro-China stuff is what gets through more than anything else. And a lot of the uh, Iron Man 3 dealings here are about introducing Chinese actors, uh, scenes shot in China with Chinese <laughs> crew. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's part of this as well, but it doesn't seem to me like Chris was the one that necessarily negotiated these dealings with the Chinese entities. Correct. He, was he not. is more so the one going to the <laughs> American entities and saying, this is what the Chinese regulators or entities want. And trying to essentially, I don't want to say the word shill all the way though. Although he does bring that up. He's like, I feel like I'm a shill for the Chinese communist party. Which yeah, you kind of are in a way. If you're the one lobbying American executives to you know let's put in this Chinese character or these Chinese scenes into this movie, you kind of, that's what you're doing. And
0: yeah, you're a lo- you're a Chinese lobbyist. That's not necessarily a terrible
1: <laughs> yeah. thing. Like no. it's just like sure, but I am way more interested in those conversations with the Chinese <laughs> entities you can get a lot more information about American business dealings and what they want. Of course, they you know don't necessarily want to shove in all the Chinese stuff all the time because that might put off other people, perhaps American people into...
0: Well, it's all about making it coherent, right? Like that's the yeah. biggest problem is like you're just trying to shove Chinese stuff into a movie that maybe never had anything to do with China. Um, and that's yeah. really the biggest problem that Chris... Faces when he's talking to um, folks at Disney, Marvel.
1: It seems more often than not that Dan or some other DMG executive is the one going to the Chinese entities and getting yes. from them. What exactly would you want in this to make it? distributable in china i am far more interested in that conversation i understand that you're getting that data from dan and like that there that's the piece that we're supposed to come with but obviously it wasn't just a you know easy negotiation there was some table dealings with dan and the chinese entities about exactly what can we get away with here what what can you got what are you guys willing to do i'm far more interested in that than Chris getting that detail from Dan and running over to Marvel and saying, can we please introduce Dr. Wu into Iron Man 3?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. He he even states multiple times in the book, I'm not in the room with China. I don't even know who makes those deals. I don't know how those deals are made. So it's very strange to me (laughs) that he writes the book as though he is. But then slips in these little pieces that are like, oh, yeah, I know I don't deal directly with China. I don't even I can only imagine what things that they would find offensive. Like, I'm not totally sure, um, you know, because at one point he guesses like, yeah, they're probably not going to want a Chinese actor as a villain, of course. Um, I mean, I think that's something anyone could guess. <laughs> uh, but he, he says, although those negotiations are closed to him. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's very, um, it doesn't actually reveal anything about how this stuff works. Although, I guess all you could possibly learn um, is that, hey, if you want to show a movie in China, you have to put pro-China elements in it and and maybe achieve co-production status where you're actually shooting in China using Chinese crew um, and cooperating with what they want. I mean, and, and I, by the way, I am a person who knew nothing about this. I don't. I don't know anything about the Chinese film industry or getting films in America shown in China. I don't know anything about uh, movie agents or basketball or ping pong. I don't know. I don't really know a lot about China, to be fair. So I am a person who would pick this up blind and be like, oh, I'm going to learn something. And I don't feel like I have really learned anything other than I didn't know about the ping pong thing. And I mean, it was good, you know, an important piece of US and China relations to know about. I didn't really know that basketball was super big in China. I knew that it I knew that they had basketball, but again, I'm someone who doesn't know anything about this. But from what um Chris Fenton is trying to tell me, <laughs> trying to teach me as a person picking up this book who knows nothing about these topics, I don't feel like I learned anything. I wouldn't know who to go to or what arguments to make, you know. Or at least they're not
1: in depth details i feel like this is something you could get from any puff piece about american chinese relationships or perhaps even a wikipedia article about american chinese business dealings um there's i if i'm picking up a book like this i really want some of that insider knowledge about uh, about talks and negotiations with chinese entities yeah. Because that is the true opaque thing that I'm trying to pierce the veil of if I'm interested in something like this.
0: Yeah, and I mean, because why would I be interested in I don't know. I guess some people might be interested in a memoir about some random Hollywood executive, but it's not something that I would be interested in by. But even if even if I was, sorry, I, I think I forgot to make this point at the end of my last spiel about all the things that seem to be lies or exaggerations or omissions on Fenn's part. <clears throat> I would, if if you want to write a compelling memoir. You want to talk about that negative stuff. You want to own up to it. You know, owning up to... Again, I want to point out that owning up to your tiramisu's in college and, you know, getting fired for cause because you maybe stole something and and ruined relationships. You know, where's all that Guanxi you spoke about in America when you're burning bridges, seemingly, you know, at every agency you work for? Um, it's, It's just annoying that this book doesn't actually get anything. I don't really get a good memoir... I don't get details on American Chinese film negotiation. I just get this watered down, like you said, sort of a prolonged puff piece that sort of anyone could have written. And it it's just unfortunate that Fenton didn't want to talk about the more difficult parts of his career. Um, and it's, you know, and if he had, then maybe other people wouldn't have had to dig through his life and get all these interviews and compile all these documents to, to, Say you know to show that he omitted a lot of things and maybe made some stuff up, which doesn't make you look good. You know, he just just included, own up to that stuff.
1: He certainly <laughs> included every article positively written about his dealings in China, mm-hmm. almost like paragraphs of like oh, full quotes yeah. from articles about how DMG is really opening up cultural trade.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the few things he did in America to like make the co-China production look good was. He had some friends who were reporters or journalists or had sway at, you know, magazines or some kind of publishers um, and convinced them to write articles or to use something he wrote and kind of like re reworded in their voice and have them published. And yeah, every time he brings up these articles that are positive about him or DMG, he puts so much of the article in the book. It's like, dude, you could have just pulled a quote or just said there was a positive article and then put a footnote to the link. Like, I don't need to read three paragraphs of an article about how cool you are in a book that you're already writing about how cool you are. Like, it's a little weird. Um, you know, pulling a positive quote is fine, but these big blocks of of text from articles is a weird choice. I mean, that's more Maybe. of a technical choice, but... Um,
1: there's at least one instance of an article that sort of pans them, for sure, for, like, getting involved in Chinese business yeah, dealings. So it's, it's not all positive, but there's just very minimal on the other side
0: yeah um there's kind of a lot to go over here uh one thing the other thing i want to point out is that again fenton markets himself as an expert on china and he is on uh does he he's part of the what is it american asian something institute it's like some body of lawmakers and lay people who are trying to work together to better relations between the U S and Asian countries, predominantly China. And he, he's like, he works not works there, but it's like his hobby thing or whatever. Um, yeah. And so he, he really pushes this whole, like, I'm an expert on China. He doesn't speak Chinese, which to me is like, if you're going to be an expert on a country, I feel you need to speak the language. Um, maybe that's wrong of me. But how can you possibly understand a culture if you don't understand the language? How can you be an expert and move fluidly in that country if you don't speak the language? I To me, that was another tell that made me concerned that what his he was partner, saying... Was,
1: his partner, Dan, can certainly do that.
0: Yeah, Dan spoke Chinese. And so did many people he worked with, um, of course, because DMG is a Chinese firm. But um, there was also evidence from this Rossau article that apparently... Fenton was only in China a handful of times. So it seems to me like he maybe ha- was only in China the few times he writes about in the book. And then maybe um, for the, I don't even know if he was ever there for the basketball tournament thing. I think maybe he would was, but how can you be an expert if you don't speak the language, if you can't read the language, if you don't understand it. And if you've only been to a place, you know, a few times for short stays, it, I think that's pretty. Com- that's a pretty compelling point that he's not an expert. <laughs> I mean, unless, unless my evaluation of what an expert is is totally off, but to me, if you're supposed to be an expert on a certain uh, country's culture, you would think that you would have to be a part of that culture, or at least try to be. It's, again, very strange to me that... This guy. I mean, there's a
1: point where he lists a bunch of phrases that he thinks the Chinese regulators might have a problem with in yeah. the script of Iron Man. And he's straight up like, I don't know, maybe they'd have a problem with these. If you're a yeah. cultural expert, shouldn't you be the one with that yeah. answer?
0: Yeah, and I guess, you know, you might wonder, like, well, why is it a problem if this guy is saying he's an expert, but maybe he's not? It's like, well, because... <laughs> U.S.-China relations are tense pretty much all the time, and having someone who claims to know what they're doing but not really is a problem. I mean, that could create a serious issue if he was, like, part of some envoy to China and, like, fucked everything up, you know, or is giving bad advice to people in America on how to handle Chinese business negotiations. Yeah, it's just... It's (laughs) troubling. It's troubling in a lot of ways.
1: There's a part... Can we briefly move over into the SEC investigation segment of the book because there's a part in that which I think is extremely patronizing towards one of the people in the scene. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Essentially, uh, DMG gets embroiled in an SEC investigation because there's suspicions perhaps of the reason DMG is able to get these high-caliber business deals moving is that they are specifically bribing Chinese officials to get their movies distributed um, ahead of other things. And that's a big old no, no. Mm-hmm. So Chris paints it as like, I had no idea this was happening. I'm pretty sure our company never did anything. And so his big idea is to go to the federal investigator that is in charge of this case to give him some kind of PowerPoint presentation on how Chinese business dealing works to give him this Federal investigator a better idea of what the picture on the ground is like.
0: Yeah, because he thinks the investigator doesn't understand how Chinese business works.
1: If this investigator is tasked with observing and investigating foreign business dealings, especially in China, perhaps he was picked because he has some working knowledge of business dealings in China. I can understand t- t- taking a meeting and seeing and taking the temperature of what he knows. Right. But Chris Fenton comes out there starting from the basics as, in, as if this guy wouldn't know anything about it. Which is an extremely patronizing view on that, especially when assumingly, this person has been working in foreign business affairs, perhaps longer, maybe not longer than Chris Fenton has, but certainly with a broader depth of knowledge than Chris Fenton seems to have.
0: Yeah, I agree. That's pretty troubling to march into the SEC office and be like, but you don't understand. And the investigator being like, I don't. I don't see how this is helpful. He and even then,
1: says that, like, during the meeting, the guy seems mostly bored.
0: Yeah, and then Fenton did a bunch of, like, research on the guy to figure out he has kids and, like, where he went to school and where he lives. So there, there's a fire um, alarm going off, so they have to leave during this meeting. And Fenton's like, so how's your kids? How's your house? What's going on? And the guy's like, okay, I can see you did your homework on me, but, like, we really shouldn't talk like this. But then he starts talking about um, what was it, the financial crash or something, and how yeah. big banks shouldn't have been bailed out and stuff. Yeah. And they like make friendly over that, and then he's like, "Oh, and then no one got prosecuted or like no one was found guilty." So it's almost like he's saying because he had that nice nice talk with this investigator that it like fixed the investigation. <laughs> he doesn't say that directly, but why why would you include this p? Like he could have just said. Oh man, I got, I'm getting fucking investigated by the SEC. I don't think my company's doing anything, but this is a serious thing. I had a meeting with the guy. It all turned out okay. Fine. Um, but yeah, to be clear, the SEC did not eventually find any fault. Um, with DMG or any of uh, Fenton's, I guess. Yeah, people we're not he worked here with. saying yeah, that it's... DMG
1: was embroiled in anything. No. It's just that this is an extremely dumb fuck way to go about. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> even when your lawyers are like, hey, Chris, that's probably not a great idea.
0: Yeah. Um the other there are just so many things that I, I had trouble with. So again, if you're supposed to be an expert in this country shouldn't you know when you say something that sounds a little culturally insensitive? And there were just many points in the book where I don't think I I see. I do not think I truly don't think Fenton was trying to say anything offensive or racist, but there were things said in the book that came off that way. And that if he was really, um, some kind of cultural ambassador to China, he would have known better how to censor what he was writing, uh, to not be offensive to China. For example, there's a passage towards the beginning about how Chinese people can only handle simple sports. Jesus fucking Christ. Like, just change the wording there to something like, when surveyed, it was discovered that Chinese audiences enjoy sports with fewer rules, rather than phrasing it in a way that makes them seem stupid, when Chinese people are not stupid. And that's also a recurring racist stereotype about people non American. Like why would you perpetuate that? And I'm and I and to be clear, the passage in the book is actually worse than what I'm even saying. <laughs> it's like he and Dan saying how, oh yeah, they, they like the real simple stuff that yeah, they can't handle anything more. It's like, come on, guys. And and even if he is reproducing a conversation, he could do it in a more sensitive way, is my point. If and you're already
1: like, taking liberties.
0: Yeah. With right. The
1: dialogue you're reproducing.
0: Right. Um, and then there's a, there's a part where he says the suicide rate under Mao was so high that it was unsafe to walk outside because you'd be hit by a falling body. I was like, that just smacks of like urban legend flavoring. I mean, yes, many people suffered under the reign of Mao in China. We know this and I'm sure the suicide rates were high. But again,
1: maybe even someone got hit by a falling body somewhere out there. Yeah,
0: I don't know. But to say
1: like like every Chinese person was like, can't go outside. I'm going to get hit by someone falling off the roof of another building.
0: Yeah. Like let the bodies hit the floor was inspired (laughs) by like, like, come on. It's it's
1: it's the same thing as when I live in a certain subsection of Boston that like sometimes when i tell people like yeah oh yeah i live here they'd be like are not you scared? i'm like no.
0: <laughs> oh, are you near are you near the brown people and the black people crap? Yeah, yeah, like no.
1: It's yeah. fine.
0: All the purse clutchers.
1: Yeah, like i i walk to and from the convenience store all the time or to the train. And sure, there might have been a couple of armed uh, robberies on the way to the train, not (laughs) towards me, but but, but it was like a handful over many, many, many years.
0: That's also just just being in a city. Yeah, that's
1: just being in a city, like, you know, or it's not like it's every single time I go outside, I have to, like, be dodging bandits and, like, fooling (laughs) them with caltrops and smoke bombs.
0: Yes. Um... Yeah, so there's just this unfortunate flavor of sort of racial stereotyping that happens in this book. Um,
1: there's also a particular oh. phrase that really rubs. Oh yeah, me you in want to talk way. about your
0: favorite phrase and my note to help you out there.
1: <laughs> so at some point, like about page 175 or so in the book, uh, Chris and some other people start tossing around this phrase. So a lot of the business dealings in this book are on Iron Man three. So they start talking about Marvel and Mao. ...getting together, and they keep repeating this phrase, Marvel and Mao. Oh, yeah, we're getting Marvel and Mao together. Uh, uh, and, like, I get it. Oh, uh, your cutesy alliteration about American business and China government as a whole, but, like, it just don't sit right, guys, uh, yeah, especially when well, Mao is long gone. I understand that the legacy of Mao's policies is still a major part of the Chinese Communist Party... But just it it doesn't feel great to to put it that way when a lot of things have also changed since Mao.
0: Yeah, and I think you're I think the best way you put it was it's just another lowbrow generalization of culture in China, and yeah, I mean, plus the best part about this phrase is that in the latter part of the book he's like, oh yeah my yeah Marv, we're getting Marvel and Mao like he's on phone on the phone with other people. And they're like, oh, Marvel and mao that's such a good phrase. He's like, yeah, I thought it up. It's pretty good, right? But even, even though JC Spinks, his friend, is the one who came up with the phrase at dinner. <laughs> and that part is in the book. <laughs> so, like, he'll tell you one thing and then contradict himself. And so what I know it's just a silly thing about a phrase, but it's fucked up to take credit for something that your friend did. Like, you know, because JC and him are at dinner and he's like, oh, yeah, it's like you're getting Marvel and Mao together. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's a good phrase. And it's fine if you want to say the phrase your friend used, but be like, oh, yeah, my friend J.C. came up with that. It's that simple. You don't have to fucking absorb credit like some monster sponge everywhere you go. Jesus.
1: That's also like the one J.C. Spinks appearance that was kind of reasonable to include. Yes. We mentioned the Duran Duran thing. That was its own chapter set aside from everything else where J.C. just brings them out on this adventure where he and he's like. Oh, look at my Hollywood L.A. lifestyle, where I'm going out to front row Duran Duran concerts in my pajamas, and uh, the lead singer Duran Duran caught saw us in the front row in our pajamas, and wasn't this so cool? Why? Why is this necessary to include? Again, in because he this? doesn't
0: know if he's writing, um, a selective memoir about how cool he is, or if he's writing about American China business dealings. He's kind of trying to do a little of both, and it's not working.
1: <laughs> it's really not melding the way you want it to, dude. No, like I. I again I understand like you want to bring jC in here here's your he's your cool friend that passed on you want to honor him somewhat maybe leave it at the the dinner conversation about where you came he came up with that phrase that you like to say so much and, and he could
0: have just said hey we had this crazy night where maybe it could have been a paragraph or two where he was like yeah yeah we like did this that concert, one time that wacky jc uh, anyway
1: as its own entire chapter <laughs> needless
0: <laughs> I know um it, oh, God, there's a lot about this I don't love. There are some things, though, that I do, we're kind of doing this backwards where I'm now going to talk about the things that I actually agreed with. agree with Fenton on, and basically that, yeah, soft power is super useful between nations or between states or, you know, any kind of opposing force. Anything that's not directly kind of governmental or related to negotiations about something you disagree with, you know, any soft power thing, whether it's music or arts or movies, Um, or sports, you know, I think it's all, it's all a good thing to pursue and to be pat. And, you know, if you're, if you're into that sort of thing, if you're into diplomatic relations, of course it's important and that's fine. Um, I also agree with him that, um, Americans are kind of overly afraid of China in a lot of ways, like doing business in China and things like that. Um, you know, I, I I kind of agree with that. I mean, I'm not, you know, of course, I'm no expert on the matter, but <laughs> frankly, neither is Fenton. Um, So <laughs> I don't know. I think I, I deserve to say how I feel about trying to American business associations, too. Um, But, you know, joking aside, I think that there is a, this fear steeped in racism, frankly, that doesn't exist for a lot of other um, places that people kind of consider more white or Western and people... Yeah, I just think there's a lot of excess fear <laughs> about China. I'm not saying China's like totally harmless and cool. Like don't don't take me as saying that, but I agree with Fenton that it is a delicate delicate dance here. You know, you do have to be careful how you handle these sorts of deals. Um I'm trying to think of anything. Else. Oh, the other thing we agreed with him on, Chris, both of us was the whole how he was mad that banks got bailed out in the 2008 financial crash but you might want to talk a little bit about how that is maybe not even yeah,
1: this even comes back to the <laughs> the whole Chinese American business things where he's trying to talk up soft power and the cultural diplomacy here i don't fully take him at his word that he's doing this to prolong or you know continue these relationships out of you know i think it's a great thing to do because every time he brings up um increasing soft power dealings with china it always has a falling line of like and then we're also going to make a fuckload of money too and the same thing with the lehman brothers thing because specifically he always talks about the lehman brothers bailouts when they collapsed because he had a portfolio of investments with lehman brothers and he his portfolio zeroed the hell out he lost it all in that he lost all
0: of his retirement savings to be clear he didn't lose his whole life which is kind of how he makes it seem but anyway
1: but it, it, oh, it's always couched in, and I was affected by this monetarily, and therefore, that is why I care about this more than anything. I do agree that there should have been consequences for these poor investment schemes and the interweaving of them to such a degree that it brought the financial system to the brink of collapse, which we still haven't done a lot of work on fixing. So, yeah. But, like, it's... It's always behind this veil of because money and it affected me monetarily. So I always don't think you have the pure best interests at heart about it all the time. When I think most of the reason you're bringing up the bailout stuff is once again, because you were personally affected by it.
0: Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there's I think he also says uh, some other just something else I agreed with him on was just that we or you too. Yeah. Yeah, climate change that we try to blame China for climate change when like in reality the western world especially the US is, you know, carries a significant burden as well. We've been um, at it
1: longer than China has. Yeah.
0: And we also pushed a lot of that manufacturing in China to happen to benefit people in the US. So, um but of course he never goes into great detail about these nuances. Uh I realize I forgot something kind of important about the whole cultural insensitivity piece. Towards the beginning he's talking about how um there was this failed marketing campaign um uh that lebron james uh tried to do in china there were there were ads that lebron james or his marketing agency or whatever like ran or the nba sorry ran in china using dragons and china said that you know and they were loath that their prized mythological animal would be used in this advertisement. Um, And they uh, sarfed one of the Chinese agencies that kind of handle stuff like this said the ads were an insult to the country's national dignity. Yet Chris Fenton's book has this kind of awful looking dragon cover and is called feeding the dragon and has a bunch of yin yangs in it. And it's like,
1: yeah, Yin Yang's why little like you, paragraph or chapter breakers
0: kind of thing. Like Chris Fenton, why can you use the dragon as you wish? Why why is that not insensitive? When China has clearly said that they don't, they find it insulting when Westerners utilize the, this mythological animal that's important to them. And again, the cover of this book is a Chinese style dragon. I just think it's it's a weird thing to write that in your book and then have that on your cover. It's a little strange. Um, but, yeah,
1: these moments of lack of self-reflection on things.
0: Yeah, I just there were there were oh man, there was this other part where he said that wearing a smog mask was incredibly insulting to China while you were there. And it it was kind of hard for me to either verify or, or find that statement to be false just because if you type china mask right now i mean obviously we're still pandemicing so it's kind of difficult to figure out what things were like before then and unfortunately i don't know anyone in china so um it but it seemed a little weird to me because china and many other asian countries have kind of normalized mask wearing because of like the h1n1 flu and and things like smog so it's weird to me that it would be offensive for a foreigner to wear a smog mask when they were in China I don't know maybe he's right but that was just another thing that kind of smacked as a little odd and um, yeah this the way that he talks about What about
1: the whole crowd management thing
0: oh Jesus Christ yeah that's that's a whole other piece but I guess you can I guess if you want to talk about that after I just say my piece yeah. about yeah China in this book is just a the landmass of China and all of its Chinese people who are all the same when in reality China's A diverse place. It's got big cities. It's got technology. It's also got farms. It's got, um, you know the. It's got Uyghurs. it's got all sorts of people of different descents. And he he does point that out when he talks
1: about this crowd control thing. So there's the sort of the opening scene in the book that we get. Tarantino to at the end of it (laughs) as well is the premiere of Iron Man three where Robert Downey Jr. is making a red carpet appearance. Um, for the premiere in China, it's a big deal because first time like a huge Hollywood star has been here, and he keeps bringing up this thing as like, oh, the Chinese don't do it the same way as in America. They're used to a different thing, so he's putting it as if China has never managed a large scale event where they have to do yeah. security for celebrities. There's yes. Chinese superstars, I'm sure they've yes! had to do that for. I- I- it's not I... <laughs> any different because it's an American coming through here. It would be the same safety concerns. By the way, what they do end up doing is that they have like Dan has some connection oh, where he can so like weird. say, you know, he, he's like, oh, go out into the rural country and round up literally thousands of rural farm workers and get them a bunch of suits and have them act as security here because they're taller in general or perhaps more intimidating And get this done in like three hours, which, okay, that probably is maybe a thing you could do in China. I'm not denying that or anything. But at the same time, just the fact that it seems like you guys mismanaged this red carpet thing. (laughs) Like you were (laughs) the guys that were expected to bring, Uh. you know, traditional Chinese security onto it. I don't really think that for every Chinese movie premiere where there's maybe a star walking down the red carpet that they always round up a bunch of rural workers to act as security. There were, And there was definitely oh, even talk about regular Chinese security people that were there that were like picking farmers out from the ones that were rounded up to work for them later. So there are Chinese security firms doing this. It just seems like you guys didn't call them up enough and maybe you wanted some cheap labor on the side yep. to do this for you too.
0: Yeah, I, I it's, cannot
1: believe that it's just because China doesn't do things like Hollywood yeah, that you couldn't have I, gotten proper event security.
0: I agree, too, that I really don't like his characterization. Again, that, like, China, everything is the same. Um, and also, China doesn't know how to do Hollywood. Like you said, I mean, China has its own celebrities. It's not like it they've never a film had... industry. Yeah, like, it's not like they've never had celebrities before. It's so... And... And whatever happened to all the times like LeBron was there and stuff, where was the security then? Who hired them? Who were they? Were they farmers again?
1: I'm assuming I don't, something you're tells supposed they, to they take weren't. that Robert Downey is somehow a more, a larger celebrity than Robert Downey is, especially because this is like a first time American actor making an appearance in China kind of thing. And I can understand, yeah, that maybe is a bigger deal, but... Assumedly, some Chinese big-name actor before has had to deal with crowds attempting to get at him.
0: Yeah. Um, It just,
1: again, smacks of generalizing everything as different from the U.S. in almost all ways, and we're going to have to handle it differently here from...
0: Well, it just seems like... It seems like everything he says is China is lesser than, even though he tries to kind of, you know... Uh, fancy that up by saying oh no yeah China very modern blah blah but still the the subtext of what he's saying is kind of like China doesn't really know how to do this the American the right you know that's how it comes off as you read it um yeah so I don't really know what else to say about this other than like I do wonder how true a lot of the things he says are oh and um so a major thing, the last major thing that Chris Fenton forgot to mention was that he is suing DMG and DMG is <laughs> counter suing him. And all of that shit started in 2019. And this book came out. It was done being written in 2020. And it's just like, so and Dan Mintz is named in the suit. So Chris Fenton like, is suing DMG and then DMG is counter suing him. But somehow that's not in this book. About Chris Fenton and DMG, which seems to me to be a pretty glaring omission.
1: Yeah, maybe. I mean, legally, his lawyers were like, "Don't say shit about that." But if you're talking maybe. about your dealings with DMG, his lawyers were probably like, "Don't say shit about that either."
0: Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Maybe, maybe it is like a, "Hey, this is an ongoing." But he could have just said, "P.S., there's an ongoing legal suit." But then this begs the question: Why write this book about how successful he was? When working with DMG, if he's going to sue DMG. Oh, is it because maybe he's trying to make himself look better for the upcoming lawsuit that
1: mm. he was planning? Mm. Mm. You can't see me rubbing my mm. beard extremely fast.
0: <laughs> I'll so, do it into
1: the microphone for ASMR here.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just so I don't know. I guess I just want to close with saying, you know, should you, should you read this? I would say no. I would say that there are probably other books out there by experts who know more shit about China and Japan. Um,
1: in the even... can we fix it section here? I wrote, I would much rather read Dan Mince's version of this.
0: <laughs> yeah, because it, you're right. It does seem like Dan was the one actually dealing with China because Dan lived in China. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, this could really only be fixed if it was a true memoir or a true assessment of American Chinese business dealings and not an attempt by the author to just make himself look better. He doesn't really ever acknowledge anything that he could have done wrong or could have done better or like critiques about him. Again, I'm not counting the Olive Garden because that was like a fucking (laughs) job you had in college. Like, yeah, he doesn't talk about all of the time, like the many times he was let go, the accusations of fraud against him and and theft. I mean, again, maybe you're right. Maybe it's because of the pending lawsuit that he can't talk about it, but this whole book just rings very hollow as a result.
1: You know, um, maybe wait till all the, the, the legal stuff yeah, is done to write right. about it.
0: Perhaps, yeah. Perhaps. He never, he never really discusses anything in a nuanced way and barely touches the surface of any subject. Um, it just would have been so much more compelling if it wasn't this glossy, dimensionless jerk-off session about the author I would say it's misguided and accidentally insensitive at best and a shameless self-aggrandizement with an unbalanced racist Western perspective at worst. Um, At worst, sorry. I can't quite place where on that spectrum this lands. I want to lean towards the former. Honestly, Fenton just seems like a guy who wants to make money and doesn't think too hard about things. I don't get the sense that he intended any harm with this book or with what he was doing for work, but like, Intent doesn't totally excuse impact, it especially, especially when intent and impact between America and Chinese relations is a major theme in your fucking book. <laughs> I mean, he, he seems to buy into his own idea of like soft power being important. But like Chris said, it really seems like that's he only cares about it because it's tied to his bank account. It's right? a
1: rationalization to make himself yes. feel better about how he makes his fortunes.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's strange that he has all these interviews and features on conservative pieces. I find that especially odd. And I actually watched one of them when he was on Tucker Carlson. And Carlson starts off the interview maligning China and maligning people like Chris Fenton right before he interviews <laughs> Chris Fenton. And then Tucker Carlson, like, praises the book, which makes me feel like no one actually read this book. Um Chris Fenton looks very uncomfortable the whole time. He kind of says he was wrong to partner with China, but then says it's good. The whole interview with Tucker Carlson and Chris Fenton is just weird. And it clearly seems like he's saying, yes, I'm a conservative, but please don't kill this industry that has made me rich. It can make America rich. You know, it's sort of just sort of that stuff. And I, I don't think, I don't know. I don't want to say that Chris Fenton is objectively a bad person or anything, but all of this book and what I know of him does not make me like him. And he's not a fictional character. He's a real person, Yeah. you know, like involved, he in, out there. involved in potentially important dealings outside of Hollywood. So it does make me feel like, oh, that's a little concerning. He, he talks
1: about how he talked with Adam Schiff at one point to help yeah. a business dealing along. So he's like up in Washington, too, with that uh, particular um Group that you talked about before that kind of deals with um, East Asian uh, interests.
0: Yeah, and- sorry, I can't remember the name of it. Um, uh, sorry, I'm just gonna grab it because it is important to note that uh, the U.S. Asia Institute, so the USAI. Um. Oh yeah, fun fact. Uh, he's a he is three degrees away from me on LinkedIn, so that's <laughs> weird. <laughs> I went to just see what his LinkedIn said about his employment because that article that we read claimed that he lied about it. And yeah, I mean, he has all the same kind of exaggerations perhaps, or maybe, maybe, if it's, maybe it's not a lie that his title was president of DMG, but, uh, the was story behind that, than
1: like a brand for him to put on his business. Yeah.
0: Card? So it's, I would say the exaggerations are concerning the omission of anything that really made him feel like a person was made the book bad you know there's just so many things that i really didn't like about this book i i don't (sighs) think
1: it's a very useful book for anyone especially if you're looking for some kind of insider knowledge on american chinese business dealings at the the best i can say about it is is that yes i also think that soft power cultural exchange is an important part of you know getting a more interconnected world that probably isn't going to go to war with each other more often
0: and i guess and i guess i hope that fenton maybe gets more i hope that he gets more actual experience in china and maybe learns chinese and goes then spends more time there and gets more involved in u.s asia institute stuff i mean he started this game why not finish it out well you know um I hope that he doesn't keep doing this whole like kind of shtick where he works for entertainment companies and like pretends he's an expert in China. When it, the evidence certainly doesn't convince me that he is an expert in China. I will say, um, as a late, you if know, he's as an a,
1: expert in China, then I'm an expert in Japan because I've watched some animes before.
0: Well. <laughs> I don't know that that's a that's a, a I'm, I'm being good worried. analogy but yeah, <laughs> yeah but like yeah I think that it's um yeah I think he pushes that definition for sure uh anyhow I don't know if I have anything else to say other than nope. oh I guess um Lynn thanks for recommending this book it was definitely definitely something I would never pick up yeah. and I mean I don't even know if we would have chosen this for terrible book club if we didn't know
1: I'm sorry you read it
0: yeah sorry Oh, my God, we didn't talk about the Rolodex. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was just thinking about Lynn and their message to us, and I was like, oh, yeah, the Rolodex thing. Yeah, his whole, like, oh, relationship building, his whole key to everything is just write people's names and details about them on a Rolodex. But like bro we got social media. You don't need to remember shit about people. You can just be like, "Oh yeah, they have five kids. Their birthday is in January. They live they in like, LA. You know,
1: they they liked posts about coffee and tennis or whatever." Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm, sure. You can write things down about people if you want, but like that's I don't think that's I don't think that really did anything. I don't know. I, It might be, you know,
1: we're getting older, too, Paris. I'm sure you've felt the memory slippage here and there, too. It's important to write things down sometimes. It is. But like you said, um, social media really just makes that whole giant Rolodex that you have a little bit um, obsolete, you could say. Perhaps specific details you guarded in conversations are worth writing down somewhere.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, something real specific. Um, But I also just don't, I don't know how, I guess he was saying that he impressed people by knowing these details and that's how he got early jobs in Hollywood. But I don't, I just feel like that's part of the story and we're not getting the whole, the whole of it. So it's kind of hard to say, keep a roll decks, and you'll, you too will be able to, you know, make millions of dollars calling people on the phone or something. Cause that's kind of seems like what he does is call people on the phone and get texts. But yeah, I
1: mean, to be clear, I'm sure a lot of business relationships are just about sort of managing that kind of thing. Mm. And a lot true, of business true. deals are made based on personal knowledge like that. Yeah. And so even if you went in that direction where like the book was more about his work as essentially what it seems to be like a sort of business relationship manager. Yeah. More than like the nitty gritty business dealings themselves. That might be worth something.
0: Yeah, to make this book palatable, I just feel like it really needed... It needed to pick a direction. Yeah. It needed to choose, like, am I going to be an actual heartfelt memoir here? Am I going to talk about Chinese-American business? Am I going to meld these two effectively? Um, Or, yeah, or am I just going to talk about relationship building, perhaps? I, I mean, he just needed to choose one and not try to do this... I, I Oh, that and also having an editor that would have noticed things that were maybe a little too much of an exaggeration or an outright lie or things that would have been insensitive to China. <sighs> yeah, yeah I, just I a lot. Just a lot. We've lot set here. our piece
1: on this one now, Paris.
0: Yeah. Don't read it. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you. Of course, to Lynn for recommending this one. It was a, it was a time. Oh, it was yeah. one of the
1: most boring books. It was an yeah. absolute slug.
0: Yeah, it was the Art of the Deal 2020 China edition for sure. Um, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you to the rest of our patrons. Thank you, Dari, Greg, Will, Veronica, D, Jared, Lynn, of course, Sinya, Yakub, Bobby Black Cat, Jensina, Mayo Cat, Elliot, Kieran, Martin, Jay, Scott, Luchek, Jay again, Ctap1, and Pancake Ronan. Thank you. Thank all of you for your, um, generous support of the terrible book club if you also want to help support the show you can subscribe on youtube you can donate some money to us every month um, on our patreon to access videos and uh some mystery science theater 3000 style commentary on bad tv and movies outtakes and other random audio visual weirdness um including our newest content series the, the lost pages, pages of maradonia. maradonia if that sounds fun to you head on over to the patreon Um, Kofi is another thing we have that is kind of, doesn't have any stuff on it, but if you want to just throw us a dollar like one time or something, you can use Kofi, K-O-F-I. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Goodreads, uh, if you're on those platforms. most importantly though, we'd really love if you either reviewed the show somewhere like on Apple Podcasts, or if you shared the show on social media and told at least one person about it, it would be uh, that would be pretty cool. If you want to contact us directly, you can send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Goodreads, Patreon, or you can send an email to terriblebookclub at gmail.com.
1: All right, everyone. Well, thanks for joining us on this round of Terrible Book Club. Next time, we're going to be back in a completely different area. Oh, um, next
0: time, we're going, we're exploring. We're doubling another, down. We're exploring another ology. Folks.
1: it's it it's the first two book terrible book club episode,
0: no, that's not true well, <laughs> yeah, the first two book we have done one that was two stories published in one volume, but yes, it, they but were this unrelated is, This
1: is separately that's purchased true.
0: that's true. We are reading two books in a nineteen book series about anology. Those are the only clues I'm giving you
1: <laughs> you you won't get it you don't don't try to guess
0: no um get get ready y'all more ologies
1: all right with that paris see you later
0: all right see you next time don't know why, but in my mind, I was like, why isn't the outro music playing? (laughs) My mind was like, where's the automatic edit of this episode, Chris? Why aren't you in my mind? (laughs) Why aren't you editing this in real time as we record, Chris? (laughs)